God is good. Amen? Amen. We are beginning a new study this week on the book of Acts. Acts, as you know, is the introduction of the church, the birth of the church. Acts was written by the apostle Luke. He was Paul's companion, and as we know, he was also a physician, a doctor. Acts is the only inspired account of the birth, beginning, and early work of the church. Acts bridges the Gospels with the epistles. It's kind of like the, the framework or the outline of the epistles. As you read through the book of Acts, you'll see where each of the letters of the epistles were written during that time. If you've ever read, how many of you have a chronological Bible? You ever read through a chronological? It, it places the Bible in order that we believe it was written. Rather than just book, book by book, it I, we, Gil and I were talking about this this morning. If you're not used to it, it really messes with your mind sometimes because you read through it and you see chronologically what happened. You get through you know, a couple of chapters in the Genesis and all of a sudden there's the book of Job. Then you get the, back to the book of Genesis. And then you read the King's, chron, uh, the King's account and then the Chronicles account and you see the same story time after time. Well, if you read through that type of a book or that type of Bible, you'll see through the book of Acts when the epistle to the Ephesians was written, when Philippians was written, when Galatians was written, all throughout that. So Acts is like the outline of how each of these churches came to be and the epistles that were written to them. It teaches us about the work and the purpose of missionaries. It teaches us about the defense of the faith, methods and themes of preaching, and something that is vital to us as believers. And what do you think that would be? The person and the work of the Holy Spirit. When we come together as a church, we believe that the Holy Spirit is present. We believe that the Holy Spirit is necessary to complete God's work. Anything we do in the flesh and the natural doesn't accomplish much, but when you are filled with the Spirit and you are anointed by God's Spirit, He accomplished it through you. The Acts, the book of Acts, depending on your Bible, it may be entitled the Acts of the Apostles. How many of your Bibles say that? The Acts of the Apostles at the beginning. In reality, it should read the acts of the Holy Spirit because it's working through the apostles to accomplish his work. The Holy Spirit is mentioned more than 50 times in this book using these phrases most often, baptism of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and being led by the Holy Spirit. As a Pentecostal church, the one who believes in the continuation of the work of the Holy Spirit it's good to go back to the beginning because there's a lot of things out there that may be not correct about what God's word says that people may have a misunderstanding about. We believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit continue to this day. They did not stop at a particular point. We believe that's active and necessary today. We can understand our roots and what the Holy Spirit does, how he does it, and through whom he does it. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 1 at the very beginning. It says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the thing, all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. Now, as we know, we know now it was written by Luke. But to show you that it was, to compare it, we go back to Luke chapter 1. In Acts, he refers to Theophilus. In Luke chapter 1, he writes to the same person. 
uh, 1.3, it says, Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now think about that verse for a moment. Luke's a doctor, probably a pretty, obviously a pretty smart guy, uh, intellectual guy. And what did he do? He investigated everything. He made sure that what he was writing was correct. One of the things that we started talking about in our in youth class this morning is apologetics or the defense of the faith. And we are going through the first chapter of the course we're studying is reasons why people don't believe. And I wanted to, I keep drilling into their heads that they have to understand why they believe it. Not just because somebody says it, but they have to be convinced in their mind that they believe it. Because when they go to college or they go to a job, they're going to be hit with a lot of people who don't believe. If you go to a secular college, you're going to get hit with a lot of professors and, and the, um, teachers that don't believe what we believe, and they need to be in a position not so much to give an argument to the professor, but you can do that, but to be convinced in your mind that when you leave the classroom that your faith is true, regardless of what they may say. The verse we've used before is don't be deceived by fine-sounding arguments in Colossians. There's going to be a lot of people out there that really can talk it up and make a good argument for not believing. We as Christians have to really understand why we believe it, that there is evidence to point to the fact that it's true, and not only that, our faith keeps us solid. So we're going to go back to Acts. Now, most notably, we see the work of Jesus in the Gospels now what he did in the Gospels in physical form, he's now going to do through the power of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts and beyond. That's us. Acts 1-2, it says, after giving instructions, what? Through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had given. The apostles are not really the main thrust of the book. The apostles are the vessels by which the Holy Spirit moves. Just like we are today. God works through people. He works through us. He works through us by the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. Now, God could come in and do anything. We could come in tomorrow, and these pews would be gone, and the chairs would be set up. Do you think God could do that? Absolutely, right? No big deal. But I'm going to step on a limb here and say that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen miraculously like that because God works through people. He wants us to be a part of what he's doing. He calls us to accomplish his will. Whether you're up here on the worship team, Sunday school class, whatever you do in God's economy, you do it under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. If you've ever tried to do it without that, how many have done that? I've done it. You try to teach or preach without having been prayed up and you just walk off the platform going, man, that was terrible. <laughs> and it just sounds all disjointed and it does make no sense. Why? Because you tried to do it in your own ability. Everyone that God called to be a herald of his, of his whether it's Moses or Paul, whoever, all of them said, I, I can't talk. I'm not a good speaker. And he said, that's fine. That's exactly what I want. I don't want someone who can do it in their own ability. I want someone who needs to rely on me to accomplish it. 
And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to accomplish God's purpose. In the Gospels, Jesus is the main figure. In Acts, the Holy Spirit's the main figure. In verse 3 of Acts chapter 1, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now Luke is restating some of the facts to the early church. Facts that we Christians need to remember and be solid in our faith about. The resurrection of Jesus is not a myth or a fairy tale, but a real event that was witnessed by many people and not only witnessed, but they were shown convincing proofs that what they saw was real. Jesus was dead and now he's alive. Two weeks from today is what? Resurrection Sunday, right? Easter Sunday. Resurrection, as we know, is the single most important day in the Christian faith. How many know that? More than any other, more than Christmas, more than anything else, the resurrection is the bedrock of our faith. If Jesus was not resurrected, then we are wasting our time. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says, if Christ was not raised, then all our preaching is useless and your trust in God is useless. When we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, we have to really understand what it is, that Jesus was dead, and now he's not dead. He's still alive. He's not going to die again. It's a historical fact, whether people believe that or not. Most people who don't believe it believe that Jesus was a good person or a good prophet or whatever, but they don't believe he was God, and they definitely don't believe that he was risen from the grave. A lot of uh, stories have been told about, well, he was only passed out he didn't really die they call it the swoon theory that he was just you know they knocked him out on the cross and he woke up eventually or that the disciples stole his body and buried him the bible even says that none of those are true and if we go into depth you'll find out why they're not true but the resurrection is the the number one bedrock of our faith that we have to first grasp that and then everything's built off of that The verse also tells us that while he walked around after he was raised, he didn't just show himself to people, he continued to preach while he was out there. He preached to people. Why? What did he preach? Well, Luke tells us at the end of his first book what Jesus preached after he was risen. Luke 24, 44. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you about... I told you that everything was written about me by Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must all come true. Then he opened their minds to understand these many scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah must suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. With my authority, take this message of repentance to all nations beginning in Jerusalem that there is forgiveness of sins for all who turn to me. You are witnesses of these things. That's us. We continue to be witnesses of the miracles of what Jesus has done. If you are, say, if you're here and you're a Christian, that's a miracle, right? The Bible says that's a miracle. You cannot do it on your own. The Spirit of God has to open your mind to that and you accept that as a miracle of God and your life is transformed. If you get saved later on in life, you can see what a radical change God makes in your life. You just can't understand it. You knew how you, how you used to be, 
and you know how you are and you realize that you didn't do that in yourself. God had to do that change in you. So Luke goes on in in verse 4, he says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now you have these guys that spent over three years with Jesus. Probably knew more about him than anyone else. If anyone could accomplish his mission on their own, it'd be these guys, right? They were with him for three years. Every day, every night, they were with him. If they could accomplish it under their own ability, these would be the guys to do it. But Jesus tells them not to go anywhere yet. You ever, you ever think that you can accomplish something without the help of the Lord? That you've been doing it long enough now that, you know what, I can accomplish this I don't really need to pray about it. I'm very proficient at doing this. I can just do it under my own ability. Now, that may go for a while, but eventually you will find out that you will see no fruit from that. You'll be able to, maybe you're a great speaker, and you can just enthrall the audience, and they'll just listen to every word you have to say, but when they leave... No change has taken place because they've done it in their own strength. Even these now 11 guys were not sufficiently equipped to do God's work. They didn't have what they needed to fulfill what God called them to do. God had called them. That wasn't enough yet. They had the call. Now they needed the empowerment. They needed the ability to do God's call because they couldn't do it by themselves. They couldn't accomplish what God had intended for them to accomplish in their own strength, in their own ability. If you look back at their actions in the Gospels, they're all a bunch of misfits. They're all blown it here and making mistakes here and Peter shooting off his mouth over there. They weren't ready to go. They had to receive God's ability to do it. How often have we tried to do things for God without having or using the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you ever thought your own natural abilities and talents and smarts could accomplish God's work? Well, those are great to have. God uses those. But in and of themselves, they are not sufficient to accomplish eternal things. You can maybe accomplish a lot in the natural. You may be able to accomplish great things by your own abilities and talents, but you're not going to instill any kind of spiritual change in anyone. You're not going to affect the kingdom of God for anyone by doing it in our own strength and ability. There are great motivational speakers. There are great counselors There are great teachers, and they will help you for a time, but eventually, they're not going to be able to change your life. They're not going to be able to get into your heart and change who you are. Why do you think Teen Challenge and New Life for Girls is so successful? And their counterparts in the world are not. 
the percentages of people who get off of drugs and alcohol very high for Teen Challenge and New Life for Girls, but correspondingly low for AA and all those other groups because the Holy Spirit changes the person from the inside out. It just doesn't work on the exterior. The Holy Spirit gets into their life and changes them and changes their heart. They now have the desire to change. The number one thing that they tell you in these programs is you have to want to do it. If you're an alcoholic, you have to want to change. If you don't want to change, no amount of counseling is going to help you. But the Holy Spirit gets in there and he changes your heart and gives you the desire. These organizations treat the spiritual aspect and they allow the Holy Spirit to change the person, change their heart. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that gives them true change. Now notice they also had to wait for it. The disciples had to wait for it to happen. And they had to seek it to get it. And he compares it to John's water baptism, but he says it's the same, but it's different. What's the difference? Well, to be water baptized, the person had to fully submit themselves to John before they can be dunked. How many of you all been water baptized? Anybody not been water baptized? Good. If you've been water baptized, you know how it works, right? Put you down, leave you, till the bubbles stop, then they bring you back up again. Why? Because they are, it's a symbol for bearing the old person. You're now buried. Who you used to be is buried. And when they bring you up out of the water, you are now a new person. But you have, if, as a person being water baptized, you have to trust the baptizer to put you down, right? Because you go backwards. I had a, a gentleman I water baptized a while ago. Pretty big guy. And me, not so much. And when I was lowering him down, I couldn't hold him, and he went right down. The point is, the person who is being baptized has to submit themselves to the person baptizing them. When you're a Christian waiting for the Holy Spirit, you must be fully submitted to Jesus as well, trusting him for everything, not relying on your own ability. Jesus says something new is different that's coming. It's nothing to do with water, but it's the same principle. You're submitting yourself to Jesus and you're being fully submersed in the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.6 says, when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now remember, some of the Jewish believers at that time thought he was gonna be the new king. He was gonna come in and overthrow Rome and he was gonna be their new leader. And now they thought, oh, this is great. He's, he's resurrected. He's going to do that part now. And they thought the, power, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was similar to when the Holy Spirit came upon the Old Testament leaders. What happened when the, Old Spirit, the Holy Spirit came on the Old Testament folks? They were victorious in battle, right? They were winners. They won the battle when the Holy Spirit came on the leader, came on the troops. In the Old Testament, it came on just for a time. It didn't come on permanently like it does now. It came on for a task and then left. And these guys thought, this is great. We had that same Holy Spirit. 
let's go conquer Rome. But Jesus stops, or quickly stops that thinking. He says in verse seven, he said, it's not for you to know the time or the date the Father has set by his own authority. Notice Jesus isn't saying that it's not gonna happen. He just told them that it wasn't their concern of when that was gonna be. It was God's plan. God was gonna take care of it. Don't worry about it. Why? Because he wants their mind to be focused on what the task is right now. The task is not to think about when Jesus is coming. The task is to evangelize the world. And sometimes I think we as believers maybe get too focused on the end time events and we forget why we're here waiting for the end time events. Remember, we don't go, we don't form a monastery. We don't withdraw from the world. We don't just sit in our holy huddle waiting for Jesus to come. We're out about doing God's work. What's our mission? Evangelize the world, right? Acts 1.8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and what? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the entire book of Acts in one sentence. Why it's there. It's a direct command from Jesus. In fact, those were his last words before he ascended. But his command does not come without the power and ability to accomplish it. You ever been in a job, you have a lot of responsibility, but no authority. You ever been there? You have all this responsibility, but you don't have any authority to do anything, which limits your power to to accomplish your job. Well, Jesus said here, I've given you authority, and I've given you the power to do it you'll receive the power of God's Holy Spirit to do God's work. Our ability to be witnesses is not found within our own ability. How many of you found out when you go to talk to somebody about Christ, you're either really into it or you're really not into it? And I found that when I'm not prayed up, I'm not into it. I'm not ready because I need the Holy Spirit to do the talking for me. I need the Holy Spirit to maybe give me a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom about something or be able to give them scripture that they need to hear at that particular moment or address a situation in their life. If you are prayed up, God will give you all of those things to be a witness for him to whoever you're talking to. It's it's an ability that each of us possess that was given to us by God. When you become a believer, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about the baptism next week. But you are filled with that ability. You're filled with the ability to be witnesses. You are filled with God's Spirit to give you wisdom. Verse, one, verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. But notice, not much attention is given to his ascension. That was it. Because his ascension was not the focal point of why he was there. The attention was to be paid on what God told them to do. What did he tell them? Wait for the Holy Spirit, and when you get it, go out and do the work. That was the twofold mission of those guys right there. 
Not to look at the ascension, not to look up and all that kind of stuff. He said, focus on the mission. Focus on what God's called you to do. Verses 10 and 11 says, they were looking intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into the heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, guys, quit looking up and look around. Don't worry about where Jesus is going. Don't worry about when he's coming back. Trust me, you'll know when he comes back. Sometimes Christians are so focused on heaven. I read this, it's not an original quote from me. We're so focused on heaven and the sweet by and by. How many of you use that phrase? That's an old timer phrase, right? That we forget about what we're here to do and what we're here to accomplish. The focus is on the mission. The focus isn't on when he's coming. We just know that he is. And so we accomplish the task knowing that he's coming back eventually. The reason for the mission then is he is coming back. The return of Christ gives us the motivation to do our work. Knowing that he is coming hopefully spurs us on. We don't go huddle in a corner hoping he comes back today. We're out and about doing God's work. Verse 12 says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. What was his first command back in verse 4? Don't leave Jerusalem. Now a Sabbath day walk for them would have been about a half a mile. Why couldn't they wait where they were? God could have poured his spirit out there, right? Wherever they were, God could pour his spirit out. But God says, go back, go back home. God wants them to start in their hometown and work out. Sometimes we may question how God does stuff. Why, does, why do they have to go back? Well, the truth is, God has reasons for everything they that we, he does through us. Verse 13 says, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. History tells us that the upper quarters of a house were the nicest in the house. It was away from the rabble in the streets and they were used a lot of times for assembly, study, and prayer, these upper levels of houses. And it was probably a room where they had been before. It could have been Mary's, Mark's mom's at the time, Verse 12 in chapter 12 says, when, they, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So this is a room they had been before in a room they had set aside for prayer, waiting for God to work. A lot of times as Christians, we are, we're focused on missions, and we should be. We have a great missions program. We want to be focused on them. Well, God said first, Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and then the rest of the world. It's great to support missions, but if we're not working on our Jerusalem, we're missing the part of God's commands for each one of us. Luke 13, or Acts 1.13 says, they were present with, those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. 
So you have basically the 12 minus Judas Iscariot. You have 11 guys there. All, what we, all of what we read is in preparation for the coming of the Spirit and the very beginning of the apostolic ministry about the birth of the church. The 11 were obedient. They did what God called them to do without having to understand why. A lot of times it's easier for us to, we want to know why God's doing this, that, or the other. But a lot of times God doesn't give us the answer to the why. He calls us to start. And I'll show you when you get there. They weren't sure what God was going to do. But they knew God was going to do something supernatural. And they didn't want to miss it. God desires today to do the same. To do the supernatural. Every one of us is called called to wait upon the Lord. Wait for his leading. And then wait for his power. The power of the Holy Spirit is as real today as it was back in the day of Pentecost. Now I mentioned we're going to go through the baptism of the Holy Spirit later and we're going to see it's a different act than this. These guys had already received the Holy Spirit. I think it was John. Jesus says he breathed on the, breathed on the disciples and they received the Holy Spirit. So they already had the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The baptism was the extra power to be witnesses. We mentioned before this morning, we mentioned every week, do we come expecting? Do you come expecting supernatural things to happen? Now I'm not talking about it shaking and lightning and all that stuff, but do you come expecting God to meet your need where you are? We prayed this morning, maybe we have situations in our life that are more than our ability to overcome in the natural. And I think I mentioned this last week. How do you know if your faith is real unless you have to exercise it in some area? I asked the kids if they knew what this phrase meant, fish or cut bait. How many know what that phrase means? Fish or cut bait. Nobody? You can sit around and cut bait all day. But you eventually have to take that bait and fish with it. You're not going to accomplish anything by cutting bait all day long. So you've got to fish. It's easy for us as Christians to say we trust God, we believe God, and God's going to provide when everything's already been provided for us. But when you're looking something square in the eye, that is impossible for you to accomplish, and you know nothing's gonna change in the natural, well, it's time to start fishing. It's time to exercise the faith that you say you have. Do you believe that God can do the impossible? Do you believe that God can change any given situation? We say it, but until we come to the point where it's facing us square in the eye, we really don't have the faith to believe it. Because if you don't ever need it, you're not going to have a chance to exercise it. 
How many of you have anti-lock brakes on your car? I think all of them have it now. Now, for those of you who have been around for a while, driving in the snow, you were taught to do what? Pump your brakes, right? So you don't slide. You can't do that now with the analog brakes. If you're like me and you forget that occasionally, what happens? Your pedal does this, right? Why? You don't know what's going to happen until you actually do it. You don't know you're not going to slide until you actually hit the brakes. You don't know if you're on ice or how your car is going to respond until you hit the brakes. When I'm driving in the winter, I always hit the brakes when no one's around just to see how the car is going to react. Before I get into a situation where I need to react a certain way. As Christians, we need to have the faith now. Trust God now. So when the situation does come up, you're not scrambling to figure out what's going on. It's like taking a test. If someone tells you there's a test on Friday, hopefully you study the week before so when Friday comes, you're ready. If you don't study and Friday comes and you bomb the test, whose fault is that? As Christians, God tells us everything we need to know about his, his word, faith we're to have in his word. If you wait for a hardship to come your way, you're going to be ill-prepared to face it when it does. We want to be ready before it happens. So that when something tragic comes your way or some hardship comes your way, you're not scrambling and all fear full of fear. But you the Holy Spirit is able to bring up that faith in your life because you've been preparing for it all your life. You've been reading God's word and sinking into your heart and when all of a sudden these bad things happen, you're not gonna freak out. You're gonna trust God. You're gonna be ready for that situation and the Holy Spirit is the one that makes you ready for it. Why do you think Christians have joy when they shouldn't have joy? when they have peace, when they shouldn't have peace. You had peace last week, did you not? Hard situation, but God gave you the peace when you needed it. Because you've been preparing all your life for that moment. If you wait to the last minute to try to study up on God's word and find some verse that's addressed to your situation, you're not gonna find it. You want to know God's word now. You want to have it sealed in your heart so when you do need it, the Holy Spirit brings it to your mind. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to live the Christian life because without it, we could not do it on our own. You can't, our natural inclination is to be fearful, it's to worry, it's to be upset, and most likely not to trust but the Holy Spirit gives you that ability to change all of that. So you don't worry. You don't fret. You don't fear. And you walk in joy because it's the Holy Spirit that does it. That's why Christians should be radically different from everybody else. We may face the same problems, go to the same doctors, we have the same bad news sometimes, we get in the same car wrecks, whatever it might be. The difference is the Holy Spirit is in us to give us encouragement and blessing in that time. 
Every church, especially those of us who are called Pentecostal, need to start relying more and more on the Holy Spirit and not on what our talents and abilities can be. We want to stretch out. We want to trust God that God can accomplish it. It's not a bad thing to be placed in a situation where it is beyond your control because that makes us force, it forces us to really trust God. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. It also says faith is what? The evidence of things not seen. You can't see how God's gonna do it. There's no way in the natural it's gonna get accomplished. But the Holy Spirit gives you that sight that says, yes, you know what, I don't see it, but I'm trusting that God is gonna do it in spite of everything I see. Would you stand as we close this morning? Every head bowed and eye closed, if you would. If we don't have the Holy Spirit in us and in this church, then we are just another meeting place. We come as believers to God's house because we expect God to show up. We expect God to do something. Not because I say it, but because God's word says it. One or two are gathered, there I am in the midst. And if God is here and we are leaning on the spirit of God to direct our lives and our service, then the Holy Spirit is gonna do something that God wants to do. That may be something demonstrative that everyone hears or sees, or that may be the Holy Spirit speaking to one person at one time to handle a situation that they're going through. Maybe it's through a song we sing, a comment that's made from the front, something in the sermon, that the Holy Spirit is one sentence that speaks to you. My very first sermon I preached, I basically read all of my notes. But there was one or two sentences that I said that were not written down that I didn't plan for. At the end of the service, a lady came up to me and said, you know, you really spoke to me with those, these things you said. And I said, what? And she quoted me those two sentences that I did not plan to say. But God knew that she needed it, and so God put it in my mouth to say. That's what the Spirit does. He accomplishes what he wants to accomplish, and he uses feeble people to do it. People that are dependent upon his power and not on our own ability. We need the Spirit of God. We need the Holy Spirit of God every day. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you that you have given us not only the call to become believers, but you've given us the ability to accomplish the task. I pray for each person here that we would experience you more and more. That we would sense the power of the Spirit in our lives, making choices that we wouldn't normally make or doing things that seem out of character for us, but in character with you. So that every day we can see something or experience something that we know was led by the Spirit of God in our lives.
whether that's talking to someone or a scripture coming to your own mind for something that you're dealing with or a scripture for somebody else who needs it. Lord, we want to experience that. We don't want to read about it. We want to see it. And your word says that we can and we will see signs and wonders. We don't follow them, but we believe that you do them through us. I pray for your anointing and blessing upon each person here. Let them sense your call. Let them sense what you have planned for them. What great task is ahead for them. And that great task may not be something that everyone sees, but it may be a great task for one person to receive. Lord, simply we want to be used by you. Direct us every step we take. Lord, your word says that you directed Paul in and out of cities. You told him to go here. You told him not to go there. Help us to be that attuned to the Spirit of God so that we are able to follow that just like Paul did. Go here. Don't go there. Talk to this person. Allow them to see me. Bless us as we leave today and allow us to experience that daily. We walk with you daily, Lord. We want to experience it daily. So I commit each person to you to be used by you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 Let me know how God's speaking to you, God's working through you to accomplish great things. Testimonies are powerful things. We need to hear that more and more.